Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. And just as we were last time, we're joined by Sean Siegel of Rotoviz. We're talking about Dynasty team building. If you missed last episode, go check it out right now because Sean uh, gave away all his secrets. I'm going to use those against him in the leagues we play in uh, together. But he talks startup draft strategy, rookie draft strategy, and some general team management, including uh, some good stuff on player age. We've got more topics today, and, and guys, we're going to jump right into it. Uh, Sean, let's let's talk about trades. This is this is a huge thing in Dynasty. Is and if there's anything that's that's more fun than the startup, it's it's making trades. And in fact, I, I do want to start with that. What would you say is the most important aspect of Dynasty team building in general? Is it the startup draft? Or is it trades? <laughs> That's going to be a tough question because those yeah. two things are so uh, intricately linked. We talked in the last episode about how to build a startup that gives you a lot of trade value. And then I think from there, that trade value really carries it on where you want to be the most active trader or one of the most active traders in your league. I think the way to think about this, and certainly if anyone else's experience is even remotely like my own, anytime you get that trade notification that comes through that other owners in your league have made a trade, you're thinking, oh no, like how much ground did I lose because these you're guys right. did a trade where it either benefited both of them or it benefited one of them. Either way, it's bad for you. And so the other end of that is that all the trades that you make should be good for you, good for the person you're trading with and bad for the other 10 people in that league. And the way that works, the more trades you make, the more ground that you gain on the rest of your league. Mm, that's that's really well said. I love that. Yeah. Um, and in some ways, that's a simple idea, but also it's it's just a different way to uh, to present it that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it shows how important it is to be an active trader. So let's talk about your process uh, first for identifying trade targets. You've talked in, in the last episode, you've talked a, lots of times at, at Rotoviz and other spots about collecting those players that you believe are going to gain in trade value. So when they do gain in trade value, uh, how do you decide if you're trading those players away and, and how do you decide which players from other teams you're going to be targeting? Exactly. As you put it there, that's that's a great way to look at it, where we're looking for players who, because of what they've done in the past, and college production, I think, is, is very valuable. The guys who were stars in college, they really do translate that better than other players do. And so when you're looking at you know second-year players, especially, anybody who hasn't broken out yet, who doesn't have some disastrous red mark against them, was a good college player, you know the team likes them, you want to be getting as many of those guys as you can. And for something Matt said in the last episode as well, where there's a big difference between different profiles where some guys can have a good season, their trade value is going to drop a little bit. Some guys can have pretty bad seasons and their trade value is going to hold steady. You want all of your trade targets to be that type of player, the player who could actually have sort of a so-so season. And if anything, they hold, maybe even they go up a little bit, the more of those types of players you can get on your team you want. And then as soon as someone makes that jump and their trade value has likely peaked, even if it's a young guy, I'm very excited about, we talked about a DJ Moore trade. I'm willing to move those guys if the total trade value is going to have difficulty 
moving up from there, even if it's a foundation guy who would be good to have on your team, just, just to play. You guys, I think both mentioned, I know Ryan did active traders and I think that's one of the huge keys too. Like don't just make trades to make trades, but I look at it this way. Like I trust myself that on average, I mean, I'm not going to turn 50 cents into a dollar in a trade overnight. I mean, yeah, that happens. And sometimes you get to the other end of that. But I think if I, I think almost every trade I make, I turn 99 cents into a dollar. That's not much. I mean, that's a little bit of a gain somewhere on my roster. And that's, you know, obviously a tiny little boost to your team, but do that 20 times and now you have something. Sean, we play in, in multiple leagues together. I know you play in a ton of leagues on your own. Are you typically targeting the same player? So when you when you find a player that you want, are you making trades, trade offers for that player in every league, or is this more team dependent? There's, there's going to be a little bit of team dependency and, and like we talked about in the last episode, format dependency on exactly what you're looking to do. It's also a situation where I think you're looking to, and, and I know that you plan to talk about this in a moment, you're looking to the owners in your league who are open-minded traders, who are fair traders, who are frequent traders, and you're trying to find guys on their teams who fit into your profile, those guys are going to be a lot easier to get in that you know trade discussions will happen, will be fair, will be interesting, will be fun, even if the trade doesn't end up happening. Uh, it doesn't work as well to target guys off of these teams where they insist on winning the <laughs> trade by a lot in order to have a discussion. So, so I'm certainly looking That's for... That's yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I think that also sort of determines what I'm looking for. There will be some situations where, based on roster, it, it may be more what your team is like that determines who you trade away than who you trade in, because I do think those guys you're looking to acquire are going to be somewhat similar across leagues. So what's your process for initiating trades? I know a lot of, a lot of people have trouble with this. Uh, of course, some just send cold offers through the through the league site but I, I don't know how effective that typically is it, it feels like some form of communication with the other party is is going to be a better route but I, I mean I've heard of some saying you know I'm selling DJ more make an offer I don't know maybe maybe that's your plan Sean I, I wouldn't think so uh, and I don't know how effective that's going to be so uh, initiating those trade talks what does that look like don't you think it's a lot better to be instead of saying I'm selling DJ Moore to be like, wow, you pried DJ Moore away from me. I really don't want to give him up. <laughs> well, Certainly. Yeah. yeah, it's tough. There are different things that work better or worse with different owners in your league. Uh, certainly you'll see a lot of guys who maybe don't ever make trade offers to you. They want always the trade offers to come to you. And in some ways, perhaps that gives them a little bit of an advantage. Maybe they're getting trade offers from four or five people. They're weighing that, taking the best one. I do like to have maybe a little bit more control over it than that, be a little bit more proactive in that I have very specific objectives that I'm trying to achieve. So I want specific guys, but I also have specific objectives. And you mentioned that the cold offers don't necessarily work very well. I think that's true. I think you want to talk with the people. You want to try and figure out what their objectives are, who they might be willing to sell. But then if you can send and, and sort of be the initiating party where you put out two or three trade offers, that does a couple of things. It gives them a variety 
of choices. And I think people are going to react better if they have choices. It also sort of subtly creates an environment where you're anchoring them a little bit to your prices. And certainly if your prices are way off, I mean, people will send you offers of four terrible players for one of your starters. And I mean, that's not going to anchor you to anything. It's just going to be kind of annoying. But if you send offers that are in the general range, then you can define a little bit what the prices might be, what the values might be for those players. And then that may influence the trade a little bit going through. The other thing that I try and do, it's not always possible, but include a, a good player in that trade offer going out. Right. And and maybe if you're going to include good players in the trade offer going out, you ask for a lot back. But it's better to give up a lot and maybe ask for more than give up essentially nothing and try and get the opponent to give you something for free. Right. So anytime that you're including a future first round pick, you're including one of your starters, maybe even you're trying to get sort of a, a first round startup value from the other guy you need to at least include a second round guy of your own or include a similar player i think that the other day i i offered you uh christian mccaffrey for example now what i wanted back was so extreme that you declined that but anytime that you include those types of players in an offer the person is more likely to look at it think about it and not just say okay well this person is messing around that's an awesome point because we've all gotten a million trade offers reject. I don't even, I'm not even going to double think about it again. You know I mean? That happens all the time, but if at least the offer comes through and you go, Hmm, I could use DJ more. I'm not going to give this up for him, but now I'm at least talking. I'm at the table. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a great point. Sean, I don't think these two are necessarily mutually exclusive and, and you've kind of talked about each of them already. You mentioned Paris Campbell. You talked about selling DJ more uh, in, in the same deal, actually. Are you more likely to sell high or buy low? I think that like the true buy low is is difficult. Now, we, we talked a lot about there maybe are players who, just because not everybody can, can be a top five round pick, there are going to be some players like a Campbell who maybe is in that range where their value has more room to grow than fall. And so that would be a buy low type of situation. I think especially for veterans, the community is so savvy that it's it's tricky to do any type of real buy low. People know you know, what those values should be, what the bounce back chances likely are. So for me, it is more a case of if my guys have topped out in terms of what their likely trade value is, then I'm willing to move anybody. The only sort of exceptions would be someone who gives you such a massive scoring advantage that there's almost no way to return that value, even if you got a lot back. Now I say that, but, but like I said, just a second ago, I mean, I offered you McCaffrey the other day and, and what I wanted back was so much that it still didn't make sense for you. It's funny. I, I think I do both, but selling high is almost more fun. You would think giving up the stud would be painful, and it is. But like in a league that I happened to win, but I probably shouldn't have. I wasn't the best team. I just sold Michael Thomas for like four good things. And now I look at my roster and be like, I have so many more possibilities. I have such, you know, I'm so much more fluid now that I'm not married to having a great player like Michael Thomas. But he's not... He's not Jerry Rice. I mean, he's not a transcendent player. He's not going to win me fantasy leagues for 10 years. I mean, dump him and get a lot of stuff. Yeah, Michael Thomas is losing value from here on out, not not Right, gaining. right. Um, the sell high term is, is kind of interesting, though, because 
even when we think sell high, we don't we don't think Michael Thomas, we don't think Christian McCaffrey, we think Derrick Henry, right? We think those obvious right, right, right. those guys that are obvious sells. And the problem is every other dynasty player is thinking the same thing. And it, it was His really easy. was two years ago. Right. It was really easy uh, a few months ago at the, at the end of the season to say, sell Derrick Henry right now. But uh, finding a buyer was, was much more difficult. Sean, you've given us a lot of uh, good tips and good insight about uh, making trades. Any, any other tips for negotiating trades before we move on? Well, there are a couple of things I like to do that I think can be a little bit of a help. So when I receive an offer, I try and even if it's a bad offer and and mostly you get bad offers, right? So you have to have some patience with that. Anytime that I receive an offer, I try and take the intelligence that is there and use that and not worry about the specifics of an offer. So when the person says, okay, I'll trade you this for this, I always try and make an offer on both sides of that. So I know who they want from me and I know who they're willing to give up. And it's usually not something where those two things work together, but I send them counter offers to show, you know, what I would, what it would take to get that player from me. And I also send them offers if I have any interest in the player at all. Sometimes, you know, again, if you're getting the last you know, guy on your roster type people, but if they've offered someone who say is a, a 14th, 15th guy on a 30 player roster, then that, that's still someone you'd have interest in. And so you send the trade offer back, kind of showing what you would get. And sometimes that goes nowhere, but people like to get counter offers and they like to know what the values are for players on your team that they want. And they also like to know what you would pay for people that maybe they want to get rid of. So instead of just declining, I think you want to counter on both sides. I want to give one note on trading and then I'm going to tell everyone about reality sports online. But folks, it doesn't do any good to click... Jarek McKinnon, Tajay Sharp, Dante Moncrief, and Ryan Fitzpatrick in your trade bait. You know, like, nobody wants those dudes. You're not going to get email after email after sending that that little trade bait nugget out for all your junk. You know, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, just because you don't want them, do you think somebody else will? They don't. Anyway, uh, by now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team exactly like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. There's free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much more. That sounds really complicated, right? It's not. Best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just takes more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test that metal. Still not sure? You can test your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. And if you like what you see, which you will, use the promo code BLUEPRINT to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. So fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Sean, I loved what you said about sending two offers because I find myself, I, I get those offers that I don't, I'm not really considering, but it, it, it gets me thinking, are we, is, is the other owner trying to, uh, are they trying to buy my player? Are they trying to sell their player? Like what's their real motivation? And, and sometimes I, sometimes I reach out to them and, and just simply ask them, do you want to sell this player or, or do you have interest in mine? 
but I like I like your route a lot better. Send multiple offers, uh, kind of covering both both directions. And I mean, uh, obviously, sending more offers as we talked about earlier. The more offers you send, the more trades that you're going to make. So I, I love that, uh, Sean. Anything else related to trades? Well, the other thing that I would throw in is just in terms of how you talk about the trade with your trade partners. I think you want to be upfront about how you value guys and that your values do matter. We've all been in that situation where you send out a trade offer and you want to kind of talk about, well, you know, I have these guys I'm willing to give up. I need this and this. And you get that response back where the person's like, okay, this person's value is this. This person's value is this. There's a gap there. You know, I'm not going to make that trade. And I think people don't care for that, right? People don't want to be told what the value of players are. All of us participating in these leagues, you know, we know what the ADPs are. We know what the trade value calculations are, but we also know that that doesn't really necessarily, and it makes a difference. It does create an anchoring situation. And in some cases, you know, those values may somehow be objectively accurate, but when you're trading with someone, you're trading guys on your team, that in most cases you like better than the market which is why they ended up on your team in the first place. And when you're reaching out to someone else, then in most cases you like that person better than the market as well, which is why you want to acquire them. So you have different values going on. I found that people are much more willing to talk with me about player values and maybe move off of the value that they started with in a trade discussion. If I simply said, look, this is how I value the guy. And you're looking to make trades with people who value them similarly, who are willing to pay more, and perhaps you're willing to pay more for the players on their team that you want. But it's important to discuss those values in terms of how you look at them and say, you know, I, I don't value them at the market. I am willing to talk trade, but we do need to kind of get away from this idea of the trade has to be exactly perfect with what the market is out there. If you're constantly looking at the market in order to limit your own trades and you're constantly telling people, what players are worth. I think it makes it more difficult to talk with you about trades and you'll get fewer trades done. We're like couples therapists. Like listen to your, listen to your partner's needs and understand what they need in the bedroom. And it's exactly what it is. It's like communicate with them back and forth. And this is what they're really telling you. I mean, it really is that way. I didn't think this was, was going there, Matt. There we go. There we went. Uh, Sean, let's talk about, uh, the end season. I, was, I called this the end season grind. That's really what it feels like. And you mentioned this kind of alluded to it in our last episode. Once we start, once we have to start clicking those boxes and choosing, choosing a lot, setting a lineup each week, player value changes so quickly. First, I would want to ask, how do you take advantage of that? Uh, do you find yourself more likely to buy those those young players who maybe aren't producing or, or do you have to go the other way and, and just uh, target veterans, current producers uh, as you're, as you're setting that lineup? I'm trying to look for the long-term almost exclusively and understand that making the playoffs 10 of the next 10 years is better than having the best team any two years in terms of winning. We've all had those situations where we had the best team. And uh, I mean, in the hyperactive Super Bowl last year, I had three guys go down in the first five minutes of week 16 and lose by two points. And, and you, just, you can't control that, right? I mean, you're just simply not going to have exactly the team that you want or exactly the scores that you want in the semifinals and finals every year. 
your best team will be upset. On the other hand, you need to put yourself in a situation where you can be the team that springs the upset, wins titles maybe that you didn't quite deserve by always being there. And I think especially those first six, seven weeks, you have to be a little bit prepared to every once in a while throw out a starting lineup that has some weaknesses as opposed to trying to get a couple more points there, but really hurting your team in the long term. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. I love the think long term always. Uh, another big part of, of the end season, the regular season, is the waiver wire. So how patient do you find yourself when you're adding players from the waiver wire? Are, are you dropping them if they're not producing immediately, or, or what's your thoughts there? This is a, a little bit of, of an interesting one in that it, it's kind of crazy. I think some of the leagues you know, have so many roster spots that waivers don't tend to have that much. And you're not, you're not necessarily looking to give away, you know, some of these guys you just acquired in the rookie draft in order to create roster space to add those waiver wire guys. I do think that when the situations arise, you want to be really aggressive. You want to have those guys who may have some long-term value bid whatever you need in terms of your bidding dollars to get those guys. And I think that waivers and dynasty is, is sort of a fun situation to maybe grab players that you thought were good and the NFL didn't. Maybe someone like an Alan Lazard, someone like a Steven Sims, guys who actually were very, very good college players and were never really expected to perform in the NFL because they weren't drafted or they were drafted late. And then suddenly the opportunity is there and you start to see that spark that you thought they had all along. I think that's where maybe the fun is with waivers and dynasty. Another thing, and you can use this with your, your obviously your bottom of your roster in general, that people get cut throughout the year that, all of a sudden, they, there's not as much of a focus on some of these depth running backs and receivers, and more importantly, the contracts of the people ahead of them on the depth chart. Like, this guy's contract's up in a year or even two. There's a pretty easy path to being an every-down contributor. I'll grab those guys and stick with the bottom of my roster. Definitely, and and you mentioned the how do you use the end of the roster and, and what guys you're looking for and and how patient you're going to be. And I think that you mentioned right there, sometimes people aren't patient enough. Maybe the best acquisitions in waivers are people who are dropped by other owners. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you have to to get a quarterback to start that week or a tight end or you get hit by injuries, but there's a lot of value to the guys that get dropped. Sean, this is this is a pretty big topic. It It doesn't always come in season. In fact, a lot of times – you have to make this decision in the off season, but how do you know when it's time to opt for that rebuild? I know in, in the past two episodes, you've talked compete every year, perpetual reloading. How do you know when it is time for that rebuild though, where you're, you're selling off your top assets? That's a good question. I find when I was, when I was looking at the show sheet and thinking about some of the different ways to look at this, it was seeming to me like, that probably is, is owner by owner and that I might almost be in a situation where sometimes I have to force myself to keep that star player a little bit longer when it might be my tendency to try and flip them for multiple people. Like Matt was talking about, you know, Michael Thomas, you make that trade. And uh, another element of that is that if you have four guys, those are four different people the different owners in your league might be interested in, whereas Michael Thomas is only going to appeal to a couple, right? At the same time, you know, if you're a defending champion, something like that, maybe you do try and force yourself to hold on a little bit longer. 
the thing that came up to me when I was thinking about this from the sell side of it is that when people do decide to move and to sell, I like to see them sell their best players, not just their sort of middle of the road players. Those rookie drafts, they'll help you reload. You get those top couple picks. You start to get your team very young. You have a bunch of guys. If you're not willing to sell the people that other owners really want, then that rebuild is going to take four, five, six years. Whereas if you're willing to sell a Camara, you're willing to sell a Cook, you're willing to sell an Elliot, you're willing to sell a Thomas, then yeah, you don't have those guys. You don't have the foundation pieces, but your team is also ready to compete again in two years instead of five years with Camara. Yeah, that's a good point. And folks, I haven't told you about Harry's in a long time, but it's a crazy time. And Harry's knows sometimes it's just better to stay inside. And, and that's why they ship directly to you so you can have ex- experience the quality of Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. That's what I do. And I've been using Harry's for many, many years now. I have very sensitive skin. I had to use an electric for a very long time until I found Harry's and now I'm hooked. So join the 10 million like myself who have tried Harry's. Claim your special trial offer by going to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's is a return to the essential. There's quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman, so they manufacture blades in their German blade factory that have been honing precision blades for over a century, which means you get incredibly high-quality blades at a factory-direct prices. And again, you don't have to leave your house. It's great. Uh, It's super convenient. Blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription, and you can feel good about your purchase. 100% quality guarantee, of course, if you don't love your shave, which you will. Let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Plus, 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. So, Listens to listeners of our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated and a travel blade to cover to help your keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com slash dynasty to start shaving better today. Sean, let's finish up this uh, this long and and uh, very interesting fun. conversation. Very fun conversation. Uh, you've given us tons of tips. We've worked through over the past two episodes: the spring startup and rookie drafts, the summer uh, managing your team, refining your team, the in season grind in the fall. Now it's uh, let's let's move on to the winter. It's the end of the fantasy season. Hopefully you've won a title, but uh, maybe you ran into some bad luck, as you mentioned earlier. When the season wraps, what does your process look like? I, I certainly assume you're evaluating your team, but what does that really look like? And and how quickly uh, do you move on to sending some trade offers? Well, I usually try and do uh, some sort of postmortem wrap up for the folks on Rotoviz there, give them a sense of what I did. If you force yourself to do it through an article, then uh, you, you, you certainly have to be honest with yourself in terms of the wins and losses. You have to get a sense of what actually worked and what maybe you were successful in spite of yourself. So in this last season, um, my teams are, are very Christian McCaffrey heavy. He was one of those guys that really fit the style of running back that I like to draft. 
And we talk a little bit about where maybe the, the opportunity to acquire players is. And he was one of those guys where after his first year, it was clear that he was going to be a very viable NFL player. It wasn't clear whether he was going to be um, sort of a, a rich man's Tarek Cohen or if he was going to be like somehow better than Marshall Falk. <laughs> Right. And so <laughs> there was a little bit of a window there if you wanted to pay a lot for him. And because he fit my style of running back, I did that. I have him on my team. So now looking forward to 2021, I have to be honest about those teams and say, how much of the success was because you have someone who scored 30 points a game and how much of it was because of the other things that you're doing? Because even if McCaffrey goes back to simply being a superstar, and scores 22 points a game instead of a god, that's going to really change how good your teams are. And so you're looking at that. You're trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. You want to be as hard on yourself as you can, because if there are weaknesses, it doesn't really help to be like, oh, you know, zero running back should have worked better, and I'll just stick with it. I'm not going to make any adjustments. Or drafting to win now, it should have won me in the first year. It didn't. It wasn't really my fault or I'm rebuilding, but I'm not making any progress. It's just going to be one more year in the future. It's really helpful to to be very specific about the types of things that are working, what the mistakes are. You want to look at the specific year because certainly every year is a little bit different. Jack Miller's had some cool stuff on our site recently about uh, the differences in the first six or seven rounds between wide receiver scoring and running back scoring last year. You want to look at that. You want to see how unusual it is. You also want to think about how the NFL might be going in a certain direction. If it's unusual for the past, but that NFL is different, you want to take that into consideration. And then, like you said, you want to start figuring out team by team, who do you need to sell in order to create more depth and breadth and upside on your team? And then what types of players can you acquire? The last note I really have is along those lines too, is I think there's a window every year when the fantasy season ends maybe through the playoffs and certainly after the, right after the Super Bowl, where there's not a consensus on players yet. Not everyone's listened to 10 podcasts and read a t- ton of articles that you can make a value move or two that can really help you. Definitely. And I think that, uh, you know, this wouldn't be end of the season, but mid-season, some of those times where you may overpay for a young player who's emerging and people are like, oh, you know, you're just looking at the last couple of weeks. You're overpaying for that. You're going to want to have that 26, 27-year-old stud next year and be sad that you picked up this young guy. And then people find, okay, now it's February and March, and that young guy is now a second or third round startup. Right, player. right, right. Those are, those are moves you want to make because there are certain profiles that consistently make that move. So you target that profile earlier rather than later, you gain a lot of value. I think that's a great point. And we see players every offseason as as I track ADP that move, that gain value in January, in February. I mean, we're talking before free agency, certainly before the NFL draft. Uh, and and you might think, you know, nothing's happening. Why are they why are they gaining value? It's because of what you're talking about. Their their recent performance. It, in the back half of the season and just the trends, the, the way dynasty players value those, those certain types of players. And in almost every case, it's going to be a young player. And that's kind of been the theme of these past couple shows is to focus and build around that youth. Sean, what about beyond team management? And, and this, this will be our last question. We'll wrap this up. 
What does the early part of the offseason look like? I assume like most of us, you're shifting to looking at that incoming rookie class. Uh, what What's that process look like for you? So for me, I, I am so focused on the NFL during football season. It's a lot of fun to get in there and look at the college guys, see what they've done, you know, watch video, get a sense of what the different mocks are. Obviously, Ryan, you do a ton of just, you know, fantastic work that sort of sets the the stage and the foundation for everything the dynasty community does with those guys. Obviously Curtis, Travis, TJ, some of the guys who are doing those things for Rotoviz right now. Uh, I'm biased, but I think that they're among the best players in the industry uh, in terms of, of giving people good information on that. I like to learn from them. I like to contribute to the discussions with them. When we had our DCC ranking summit, you know, it was an absolute blast I think going through and trying to develop different scenarios, things that might happen is interesting. Certainly, there's a big shift in value throughout the offseason, before the combine, after the combine, obviously before and after the draft, seeing how some of those players move. And sometimes there are opportunities to take advantage of simply what you thought originally. Uh, Some of the names that pop up to me are, I remember, I think in 2017, writing an article talking about how Dalvin Cook and Juju Smith-Schuster for me uh, toward the tail end of their final college seasons were already top 20 dynasty assets if you were to put them in the top 100. Obviously for you know various reasons, they didn't do that well in terms of the draft process. You know, Cook fell a little bit as a running back. Juju Smith-Schuster fell a ton as a wide receiver, but we're still looking at those guys now. Certainly Cook, a first-round pick. Smith-Schuster, a little bit more com- controversial, but an opportunity, I think, to be the number one wide receiver uh, this time next year if he has a good season. Certainly back-to-back bad seasons would, would move him way down, although we've seen with Amari Cooper that even a couple of bad seasons can be rehabbed quite quickly uh, when you go back out and do what you can do. But you know, you look at some of those guys, and I think you know having a good – foundation of research before you start to hit the time period where people get very trendy or very uh, not trendy can help you because some of those late valuation shifts that are so significant don't then show up actually when players start playing in the NFL. Yeah, all, all really good points there uh, to, to cap off a ton of great points, a ton of awesome information. Uh, if, if you're new to dynasty you might want to listen to this and then listen to it again because Sean is <laughs> Sean is one of the best out there at this game. Uh, the the strategy, the thinking behind every single move. I know I've learned a ton. I've taken uh, pages of notes here through the past two episodes. I hope you've done the same. As we talked about last time, you can find all of Sean's work both in written and podcast form over at Rotoviz. Go check them out. Doing great work there. Sean, thank you so much for joining us uh, these past two episodes. We have loved it. Well, uh, it was a blast. Thanks for having me on the show. Obviously, what you guys do, I think, is is the foundation for uh, Dynasty Fantasy Football as it is in, in the, the current era. So it, it's great to be on, on this show at this time. That was great. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Sean. We'll see you next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>